growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Would you, would you describe what you have with God as something active and, and vibrant and, and intimate and personal and, and ongoing in your life? And I, and I know, you know, we have our ups and downs and our good days and our bad days and this walk with Jesus and all that stuff, but, but would you characterize your relationship with Him in that way? We're picking up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 9 and what we can learn from God's Word about faith and why we come to Jesus. You want to see God do something you, you want to see happen, something you want to believe God for in your life, and, and, and maybe it's not happening, or it's not happening fast enough, or, or it's going in totally opposite direction, or, or something else, and, and this doubt can begin to creep into our lives. As we heard Pastor Clay explain last week, a lot of people come to Jesus for a lot of different reasons, and hopefully last week's message has caused each of us to think about our motivation for why we come to Him. And honestly, look to where your faith is. Is it in the healer or the healing? Is it in the provider or the provision? Is it in the God who has all or is it in the stuff that you want God to give you? Where's your faith? What we have with God and why we come to Him is meant to be relational. And as we'll hear today, through Jesus Christ, we become a part of the family of God. And like any relationship we have, it should be a growing, vibrant thing where we enjoy being in God's presence. Our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, continues on Crosswalk. Here's Pastor Clay. Mark chapter 9, this account that really is, uh, in some sense, when you read it on the surface, and I read it last week, and we're continuing on, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. We're, we're going to pick up the latter part of it uh, today. But uh, if you read it with us last week, or if you happen to have looked at it, there's a sense that it almost seems, Jesus' reaction almost seems out of character for him. In the way he reacts when this father brings a son, his son to him who, who has a, a demon. He's possessed by this demon. And Jesus' reaction is not the reaction that we normally expect to see from Jesus. Do you think? I mean, y'all know, if y'all were here last week, you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to read the text again, and, um, and then we're going we're to talk some about it today. Thank you so much, as always. Thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. You honor the Lord with your presence, and I pray that He will bless you as a result of it, as you're just receptive uh, uh, to His Word and what His Word will say to you. Listen, God is a Word for you. When they came back to the disciples, and uh, it's referring to Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. They've been up on the mountain. Uh, they had that event, that event in the early part of chapter 9 that we call the Transfiguration, where they saw Jesus in all of His glory. So, so they're coming back. They come back down off the mountain. We talked about that some last week. When they came back uh, to the disciples, to the other nine disciples who were left down there uh, below in the valley while they went up there. When they came back to the disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. They were part of the religious bunch. They're arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, meaning Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? What's this this all about? What are y'all talking about? What are y'all arguing about? Verse 17, and one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and, and, and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. 
I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And here's that response that Jesus, I said, seems, at least on the surface to us, seems out of character. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father... How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came, uh, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus, Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? Meaning the demon. Verse 29, and he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Last week, just to briefly rehash, we we had one division statement, uh, one main division statement, and it was this, that that each of us needs to honestly ask why you come to Jesus. And uh, several of you tweeted some responses during the course of the message uh, answering that question. Because if you were here, you may remember that we, we actually took some time. And I just, it, was just, it was quiet in here. And we were just asking, what, what is my motivation? Why do I do this? What is this all about? And uh, several of you had some, some good tweets. But I remember uh, one that Ivy uh, tweeted. And I'm kind of paraphrasing. Uh, I don't remember the exact quote. But basically, uh, he said, initially because I needed a Savior. But now because I just need him every day in my life. This understanding that... That, uh, that yes, I, I, based on what God's word says, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, and I, and I have no hope of redeeming myself. I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good works. I can't, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And so God uh, sent forth his son, as the text of scripture says, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. That was us. We were under the curse of the law, so to speak, because we had violated God's commandments. All of us have done that. Not just Adam and Eve way back then but you and me even today. And so we need him. We came to him out of need for uh, salvation. And if you're here and you've not recognized that need or you've never come to that place where you said, yes, I I need Christ in my life, then obviously we would pray that that you would come to that reality and that realization that, that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. As Scripture says, he's appointed unto man once to die and after that comes the judgment. And so I, I tell everybody, you better make sure whatever your beliefs are about eternity, about this life coming, you better make sure you're right because uh, you got a lot, you got a lot riding on it. But then, but then to carry on that idea is, okay, if I come to him in relationship with Christ because I need to be forgiven, but then what else is it? Why do I come to him on a daily basis? Why do I draw near to him? What is my motivation for doing that? And we, we looked at three uh, applications for it and we said this, last week, that uh, we, need to, uh, we need to put a priority on the eternal, not the temporal. That if this thing's going to be this, this, what, 
what it's supposed to be, that it has to be a priority on the eternal, not the temporal. That, that all of this is, is passing away and there's a greater focus why the Apostle Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on the things below. We have to keep that perspective in our mind. Also has to be a priority on the spiritual, not the physical. That I'm not so caught up in what I have or don't have or problems or that kind of thing, but recognize that there's a spiritual element to my life that is far more important than whatever physical trials or tribulations or troubles that I may go through in my life. That the spiritual is far more important and, and then relational and not formal. This idea that, that I come to Jesus not, not to, because there's some religious you know, a list of do's and don'ts or things I have to check off or anything, but there's this relationship, this ongoing, vibrant, active, intimate relationship with him. And I could stop and I could ask every person here today, is, would that describe what you have with God? Would you, would you describe what you have with God as something active and, and vibrant and, and intimate and personal and, and ongoing in your life? And I, and I know, you know, we have our ups and downs and our good days and our bad days and this walk with Jesus and all that stuff. But, but would you characterize your relationship with him in that way? Because I really think that it should be. So to honestly ask, uh, why do I come to Jesus? Here's the, the second idea and the one we're going to pick up with this morning and spend some time with. We need to honestly admit what is lacking in our faith. You need to honestly admit what is lacking in your faith. In, uh, in verse 20 to 24 uh, comes this interaction between Jesus and this man who steps out of the crowd. By the way, if you've been with us in the study in the book of Mark, uh, you probably have noticed, and I think I even alluded to this last week, Jesus casts a lot of demons out in the book of Mark. There's a lot of that demonic thing going on, and we talk some about that and what all that means, and the fact that I do think that it's real today. Uh, I do think it's still part of the world in which we live in. But, but one thing that you will notice, uh, whenever uh, Jesus comes around, demonic activity seems to increase. Have you noticed that as we walk through the book of Mark, that it begins to, to increase? In other words, if he comes near a person who is under demon possession or something like that, you'll see the activity begin to increase. You'll see that uh, it usually results, uh, the demon, you know, it's as if the demon seems to recognize who this is. Yeah, who Jesus is. Seems to recognize who it is. And there's another thing about this. Demons seem to instinctively know what's about to happen. In other words, they, they seem to instinctively know that this is not going to end well for them. This encounter. They've been possessing this person, and it usually involves some type of, of a physical, emotional, or spiritual attack or harm to that person. This man describes what, what happens to, to his son. And like we talked about last week, much of what he describes sounds like something we would medically describe as something like an epileptic seizure. But this clearly was, was demonic in its origin. And so uh, the demon seems to instinctively know when Jesus say, he says, hey, what are y'all, what, what's going on? What are y'all talking about? Well, uh, and this man says, well, I, I've got this son. And he begins to, and, and immediately, do you notice, immediately the demon throws this boy into one of these seizures. He throws him into one of these, one of these episodes. And uh, w- what I love about this, it says, uh, Jesus, at verse 21, Jesus asks, how long has the, how long has he been in this condition? Now, what's interesting about this is, as best I could tell, and I don't know if this means anything, it's just one of, one of my deals, but as best I could tell, unless I missed one, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus asks this question. This is the only place where he asks how long the person has been demonically possessed. Now, it may simply be an indication of his concern for the boy. 
Like I said, even though the initial reaction we read in, in verse 19 sounds like Jesus is mad about this, he's really not. That's not what it's about. As we talked about last week, Jesus is trying to get them to understand that, that there's something spiritual that's far more important than even the temporal. I know he needs to be healed. I know you want to see this, but I'm not going to be with you much longer. That's what he said. I'm not going to be with you much longer. And you've got to start thinking bigger picture here. Essentially, it's what he was saying to them. But he asked, how long has he been in this condition? And, and as, as I search it, it's the only place I could find where Jesus asked how long a person had been demon-possessed. It could just be a sign of his concern, but the verb that is used uh, in the original text can carry um, a kind of a, uh, a strong connotation to it. So it can carry the idea of, of almost like an interrogation instead of a question. Now, I don't think Jesus interrogated this father, but it may be an indication to us, and I know there's no way to know for sure, but it may be an indication to us that Jesus is digging at something that is hinting at why the disciples couldn't cast the, this demon out. But what I love about it, anyway, what, what I love about it is that uh, this, this guy just owns it, right? This, this father just owns it. He says, well, um, uh, verse... 22, uh, it's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Uh, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Now, I think, honestly, his, his, he phrased the statement that way based on the fact that he's just asked Jesus' disciples, right, to cast out the demon, and they couldn't do it. So just maybe just this little sliver of doubt begins to creep in can anybody relate something you want you want to see god do something you you want to see happen something you want to believe god for in your life and 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 maybe it's not happening or it's not happening fast enough or or it's going in totally opposite direction or or something else and and this doubt can begin to creep into our lives whatever is reason for phrasing it the way he phrases it it Clearly is not the correct response because Jesus says, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I probably will talk about this a little bit later, time permitting. There probably should be a little asterisk beside that statement, all things are possible. Uh, but, but the point is, uh, Jesus clearly wants the man to understand that, there, that his faith has to be more than what it is. But like I said, what I love about it is the guy just owns it. He doesn't try and back away. He doesn't try and cover it up. He doesn't try and excuse it. He doesn't try and wriggle out of it. He just owns it. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We have to come to that place where we honestly admit where our faith is falling down, where our faith is falling short. Because I... Uh, uh, newsflash, none of us have arrived yet, okay, to, to a full understanding of faith, to a full walk in faith where we never get it wrong, where we always get it right, where we always give the right answer, and we always respond the right way, and we always trust in God no matter how it looks. We need to honestly admit where we're coming short in our faith. I was thinking about that, just a different example, I was trying to think of different things uh, in my own life, and, and I was thinking about my call to ministry, and some of you have heard we talk about my call to ministry, and I, I was a little bit older going into ministry, uh, relatively speaking, although that seems, it seems really young now, but uh, uh, I, I was, uh, some of you know, I, I started working part-time as a youth minister at a church in Middle Tennessee, uh, but I just did that because I loved working with students, and I, and I loved the Word of God, and I loved teaching the Word of God, but I, I had no, no, nothing 
about you know, full-time ministry or anything like that. I was a postmaster in Middle Tennessee. I, Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, Loretta Lynn, where Loretta Lynn lives. Who knows where Hurricane Mills is? Yeah, any of y'all ever been there? I used to hang out with Mooney and the, and the whole bunch. And, uh, it, you know, that, that was my deal. I was a postmaster. I had a great career, and, and we had a great house, and we had land, and, and uh, all the toys that go with all that kind of stuff, and our kids had tree forts and zip lines and four-wheelers and motorcycles and swimming pools, all the stuff that we had and were very successful at a, at a fairly young age. I'm in my early 30s then. And, and, and so in that process, I, I, I began to sense that maybe God is leading me to, to something else. And I always tell people, not necessarily anything better. I want you to understand that. It's not necessarily whether it's full-time. I mean, it doesn't mean it's better. It's just something else that, that I sense that maybe he was leading me to. And listen, I was never one of these guys. I don't know, y'all heard these stories about the guys that run from Jesus for 20 years. You know, well, I, I ran from the call for 46 years and I, I was hiding out down in a brothel in New Orleans or I don't know, whatever. No, it was, I, I, I was, that was never me. I, I didn't run from God's call on my life. You know, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like I said, oh, no, no, you're not called. No, mm-mm, no. I'm a postmaster. <laughs> Got the certificate right here. No, it wasn't that. And, and I don't know that I articulated exactly the way he did, but it was the same thing. Lord, I, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? God, I, if, I, if I step out and do this, I, I mean, I, I'm going I'm to walk away. All, my kids are going to lose all this stuff, and I don't know how we're going to make a living, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for school, and I, and I don't know. And, and you know what I did? I start, you know, I start doing the math. 32 or 33 years old. Okay, I, 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 I only went one semester of college. Got to go back to college, got to get a BA. That's minimum three and a half, four years. Then I got to go seminary, get an MDiv. I'm not even thinking doctor at that point. Then I got to go get an MDiv. That's another three, three and a half years. Just, Lord, I'll be pushing forty by the time I go to by the time I go to a church. And God said, "What? I didn't realize that. Forget it. No, I didn't realize you're going to be that old. No, that's not what He did. But that's what I did. I'm, I'm doing the math, and so I'm like, Lord, I believe." Would you help my unbelief? And, and listen, God did. And, it, it, this is, and I'll talk about this in a minute. But, but for me, it was, it was in God's timing. And God probably, it was three books. And I got them. These are the actual, actual copies, 20-something years ago or however long it was. I, I read three books. And I, I can't remember if I was reading them all at the same time or one after the other. But I, but I read Pilgrim's Progress, which is, is an analogy about the Christian life. Every person ought to read this if you never read Pilgrim's Progress. I read, I read Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a record of people uh, historically that have given their life or been persecuted or whatever for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I, and I read a little book that probably most of you never even heard of called They Found the Secret uh, by a guy named uh, V. Raymond Edmund. They Found the Secret. And, and it, was, it, it was those three books that brought me to this place where I could look and I say, okay, he did this and, and I see how he did that and he did that. And it just, it just helped me understand. You see what God did? He helped my unbelief. That's what he did. He took in his providence these three books that, that came into my path and he used them to help my unbelief so that I could say, you know what, Lord? You will do be there for me. You will take care. You will provide for me. I don't know if we'll ever have all this again. I don't know if I'll make as much money. Lord, I don't know about that. But, but if you're calling me to do this, you are a God who's big enough to handle this stuff. See, it, it's recognizing where we are in all of this, and, and just being willing to, to admit it, which is what I would say. Here's the application part. Here's the first thing you and I need to do. First, just like that guy, we just need to own it. 
okay? Wherever you are in your faith, lacking, super, wherever you are in it, you just need to own it. You just need to say, God, here's where I am. Here's the situation going on in my life. I know you already know about it, God, but it helps me to talk to you about it. So you know about the situation in my life, and God, I know I'm supposed to trust you. God, I know your word says that you're going to make provision for me through this financial crisis or this relational crisis or this health crisis. God, I know you're going to do all this. Lord, I believe but, but, God, I got my doubts. God, some, some doubt has just kind of crept in there. A seed has come in. This happened, or that person said that, or this went on. And, God, I'm just not, I, I know you can, and I, and I want you to, but, God, I, I believe, uh, would you help my unbelief? So, it, first, it just comes to just owning it, okay? Second, not only do we own it, we've got to change it. Now, it's, it's not us doing the changing, okay? It's, it's God, but there has to come this place in my life where I'm willing to say, you know what, enough. Enough of, of floundering around with this or saying I believe but not really living like I believe. Y'all know, y'all know that feeling? There's no worse, I'll just tell you, there's no worse testimony than to, than to say, well, I'm, I'm just trusting Jesus. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I better go run over here and get an extra job. I better do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> we got we to gotta change it. We got to put ourselves in a position where we're saying, all right, I want to change it. How do I do that? All right? Ask him to strengthen your faith. Ask him. Ask him. Listen, can I tell you something? That is a prayer. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm not sure, you know, how this prayer is going to, or whether I'm honoring God with this prayer, or whether this is what God's will is, or all, we'll talk about that in a minute. But that is a, that is a prayer that God will honor and respond to every single time. No exceptions. No uh, fine print at the bottom. No clause, conditional clause. Ask him to strengthen your faith, and God will do it. Why? Because faith is the key. It's the whole thing. The, the, this, this whole Jesus thing is about faith. That's what the whole thing is about. What does the writer of Hebrews say? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So God wants more faith in our life. He wants us to operate in this realm of faith. So ask him to strengthen your faith, and he will. Now, <clears throat> Here's the second part. Accept what he brings into your life to strengthen your faith. This is the part we may not like so much. This is the part that we may back up on. This is the part, <laughs> this is the part that may keep us from the first part. Oh, I don't, I'm not, oh, I don't want to ask him. Because I accept what he brings into your life to strengthen your faith. That's not in your outline or anything, but just something I was thinking about last night, so I'll give them to you if you want to write them down, it's fine. Because I was thinking, you know, how, how, would God, how would God strengthen my faith? What are some ways that he does? this? It may not be an exhaustive list, but uh, this is just three that I came up with. Uh, one of the ways he, is, is direct revelation. God may speak to you, all right? Now, listen to me. Look up from your Facebook page for a moment. You've got to be careful with direct revelation, all right? Because sometimes you hear people say, well, God spoke to me and, and he said, go do this. And God spoke to me and he said, go do that. And God spoke to me and said, you know, always check what you believe is a direct revelation against what he's already revealed. You understand what I'm saying? And if there's a conflict there, guess which one is wrong? Your direct revelation. Man, and I've had people argue, oh, but God spoke it into my life. And people get mad and I'll say, no, he didn't. You, you were, yes, he did. No, he didn't. How do you know? Because it conflicts with what he says in his word, and God will never conflict with what he says in his word. Never. But it may happen. And I, I will tell you, as I, always, and I say it the same way every time, 
I, I truly, even to this day, I can count on one hand, probably two or three fingers, the number of times that I have genuinely sensed that God has, has spoken directly to me. And as I've always said, I don't, I don't believe that when he's done that, I don't believe that it has been out loud, but it might as well have been because it was so clear. I knew it was God. I knew he was speaking to me. That's why sometimes people say, well, you know, you don't really know that God exists. And I, I, yes, I do. I just talked to him. I've, 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 I've heard from him. And, and uh, it's rare and it's not, you know, I, but I'm telling you, there, there are times where God may just have to give you a direct revelation. And you know what we're all thinking? Come on. Lots of direct revelations. I, I, I can live with those direct revelations, right? I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of that. Uh, and when he doesn't, how. I just know that sometimes God may speak through a direct revelation to, to strengthen your faith. A uh, second way that he may do it is divine inspiration. That, that's what I consider the, these books. I think in the providence of God, he brought me across these three books and they inspired me. As I, as I received this divine inspiration and really instruction, it, it was like, okay, I, look, look at what he did here. And look at how he did there. And look what he brought them through this. And, and look at how, how that. And look at how this happened. And, and this happened. Man, God, I, I, I can have belief. You know, I read, I pulled these, I uh, was pulling some of these off the shelf last night. And um, when I got this idea, I was thinking about these three books and the influence they had on my life. And I was reading um, this, is, this is the last story in uh, Fox's Book of Martyr, Martyrs. It took place in London in 1558. And let me kind of try and paraphrase it for you. But it, there was a man named John Fetty, F-E-T-T-Y. His name was John Fetty. Uh, John Fetty had laid in prison uh, by the space of 15 days, hanging in the stocks. That is old-fashioned, the stock, you know what that is. Sometimes by the one leg and the one arm, sometimes by the other, and other times by both. It happened that one of his children, a boy of age eight or nine years, came into the bishop's house to see if he could get leave to speak with his father. I'd like to talk with my father. He's in, he's in your prison. You're holding him because he believes in Jesus, essentially. At his coming, one of the bishop's chaplains met with him and asked him what he lacked and whom he would have. Why, why are you here? What do you want? The child answered. Remember, he's eight or nine years old. The child answered that he came to see his father. The chaplain asked again who his father was. The boy then told him, and pointing towards Lollard's tower, showed him that his father was there in prison. Why, said the priest, your father is a heretic. The child, being of a bold and quick spirit, that's what I want. You know, I want a bold and quick spirit. The child of eight or nine years old, a bold and quick spirit, and also godly brought up and instructed by his father in the knowledge of God. See, it's been preparation. Answered and said, <laughs> My father is no heretic, but you are a heretic, for you have Balaam's mark. With that, the priest took the child by the hand and carried him into the bishop's house, and there... Among them, they did most shamefully and without any pity, so whip and scourge, being naked, this tender child, that he was all in a gore, blood. And then they carried the child in his shirt unto his father, the blood running down by his heels. At his coming unto his father, the child fell down upon his knees and asked his blessing. 
The poor man then beholding his child. Can you imagine what it's like to see your child in that condition? And seeing him so cruelly beaten, cried out for sorrow and said, Alas, Will, who hath done this to you? The boy answered that he was seeking how to come to see his father. A priest with Balaam's mark took him into the bishop's house. And there he was so handled. Clooney, I guess that was the, the chaplain, therewith violently plucked the child away when, when, the, when the child said it again. Plucked the child away from his father's hands, carried him back again into the bishop's house where they kept him three days. Bonner, bethinking in himself of the danger which the child was in by their whipping and what peril might ensue thereupon, thought better to discharge John Fetty, willing to let him go home and carry his child with him, which he did so, and that with a heavy heart, to see his poor boy in such extreme pain and grief. But within 14 days after, the child died. You want that kind of, don't you want that kind of faith? I don't understand how you can hear about that kind of story or read that kind of story and not, and not be inspired to say, God, give me that kind of faith. It may be, it may be through a sermon you hear, a song that is sung. It may be someone speaking a story into your life. It can be a lot of different ways, but God can strengthen your faith through divine inspiration. And the last one, that's the one nobody wants to hear about it, but I know we've got to move on here pretty quickly. What I call design desperation. This is the one that we don't know. No, we don't want this one. But by design, ladies and gentlemen, if we ask him to strengthen our faith, which is what he wants for our lives, he wants us to have great faith, by design, God may bring you to a place of absolute desperation. Does anybody, y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? Where you don't know where to turn, what to do, what to say. All you can do is sit there is cry and and and. You don't even know what to do, and the only thing left in your life is God? If that's what it takes to strengthen your faith, I'm, this is what I'm saying. God loves you enough to take you a place, to a place of design desperation. He may do it, because faith is where, where you've got to be to get all out of this life that you're going to get and, and for the eternity that is to come. So, I, like I said, I don't know that's an exhaustive list, but, the, but God may do just that, just to, to, to strengthen our faith. But it has to come, has to start with this place where I... I, I honestly admit what is lacking in my faith. Hopefully you, that, you, that gives you some food to, to think about for a little bit this morning. Let's, let's look at one, one other uh, idea this morning. We need to honestly acknowledge where your faith belongs. This is all about faith. Seems to be what this whole thing seems to be about, this whole encounter. Honestly acknowledge where your faith belongs. Now watch verse 25 real quickly. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering here. In other words, Jesus, this is not about a show. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about gathering a crowd. We've talked about it before. That, that has, that's never been the motivation for why Jesus does what he does. So the crowd begins to gather. So he's like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to deal with this. <clears throat> he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. Crying out, throwing him in terrible convulsions, it came out. The boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Here it is, verse 20. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Where does your faith belong? That's, that's the question. The disciples uh, have, 
have interacted with this demon. They have tried to cast this demon out. And they had some experience at casting out demons, right? I think we mentioned that last week. Back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave them authority over demonic power. But they are unable to cast this demon out of this boy. Jesus shows up. How long has he been like this? Crowds gathering. Come out of him. Do not come back into him. Throws him into this convulsion. He comes out. And Jesus goes into the house. (laughs) I love the disciples. They wait till nobody's around. Nobody can overhear this. Lord, 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 why couldn't we cast it out? They wouldn't wouldn't want to admit that. They wouldn't want to say that out loud in in front of people. But why couldn't couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, uh, as Mark records it, in verse 29, He said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Okay, right? Interesting. And we, got, we could talk about that, and, and, I, and I've got something to say about that, and how we've got to go to God and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I like to do sometimes when we're looking at stories in the Gospels is compare how some of the other Gospel writers answered it, right? Look at how Matthew records this response. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, listen, when you're looking at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you're looking at stories that they all tell or that that more than one of them tells, you don't have to look at them and decide which is right and which is wrong. That's not how the gospels work. What you have to do is is take the narratives, in this case, the two narratives that tell this story, and you have to bring them together to get a fuller understanding. That's the intent. That's why there are four Gospels. Critics want to use it to try and say, oh, look, there's a discrepancy here. No, no, God's trying to give you the fullest, you and me, the fullest picture that he possibly can. So when, when you put them together, it probably probably looked something like this when you put those two accounts together but why could we not cast it out he said to them because of your little faith for truly i say to you if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer so the implication seems to be that the disciples had faith. They had faith that they could cast out the demon. But that's the problem. They had faith that they could cast out the demon. Do you understand? Here's, here's the way uh, uh, Michael Green in his commentary on the book of Matthew. He says it's not the amount of faith that matters. That, that's not what's in question here. It, it, even a mustard seed amount will do. But it is where it is located. Where is your faith located? Now listen, the disciples, I'm convinced the disciples would have readily admitted that Jesus is the one that had given them the power back in chapter 6 or given them authority over demons. But apparently they were relying on their ability. They had faith in themselves to do this and not in God. That's what made their faith, I think, I think that's what Jesus is saying. That's what made their faith little. It, it, was, it, was, it was in the wrong direction. It was in what they, listen, it was in what they could do for God and not what God would do through them. Do you understand the difference in that? It was in what they could do for God, not what God would do through them. 
they had to look at it and figure out where their faith was aimed, what, what, what their faith really was in. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus heals in so many different ways to so many different people with all different levels of faith. If you look at it, there's people all over the spectrum of faith. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus does that is to show that it's not about who was healed or how they were healed. He does all these different, he spits on them, he puts mud on them, he just speaks the word, he doesn't even go there, he goes there, all these different ways. It's not about who is healed, it's not about how he's healed, it's about who is doing the healing. It's about who is doing the work. It is about who my faith is in. You understand? Not so. I got got to to wrap this up here pretty quick. So let me me say this about our faith. First, it must be his will and not our want. Okay? This is getting back to that idea about anything in my name and it shall be done. Say this mountain, move from here to there and it shall be done. That, that That is not a license to just... To just say, God, give me whatever. It has to be his will, not our want. Now, listen, this is easy when, when our, our want and his will are, it's easy to tell them apart. You know, if I, uh, I want, God, would you, would you help me win the Publishers Clearinghouse? Um, if I don't win the Publishers Clearinghouse, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to see, you know, that, okay, you want it. You understand what I'm saying? Th- those kinds are kind of easy. Here's where it gets hard. It gets hard when what we want is good. For instance, if, if I pray and I want God to heal a person of cancer, well, that's, that's good. If I want God to give me a job, well, that, that's good. And there's nothing wrong with asking for any of those things. But faith in him means that I'll trust him regardless of the outcome, regardless of what happens, regardless of whether I get the job or don't get the job, whether I have to, whether I have to clean out sewers or whether I, I get to be CEO of some big... It, it, that it's, it's faith in him. It's being willing to say, okay, God, your will, not my will, not my want. What, what do you want to do in this? Do you understand? So, but it's hard because we think, well, God, that would be good if, if, you, if you'd provide it there or you gave the money so those people go on a mission trip or you healed that person of cancer. Uh, th- th- that, that, would be a, that would be a good thing. And it really gets hard when we're pretty sure that what we want lines up with his will. That's when it really gets hard. It's kind of hard when we think well, what, I want, what I want is good, but it really gets hard with what we want does line up with it. For instance, if I pray and I want God to, to, to bring a person to Jesus, I want to see a person saved. As I understand the Word of God, that does line up with God's will. Just one of multiple, but in Second Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. And I'm one of those that believes anyone means anyone. But everyone, and I also believe everyone means everyone, to come to repentance. Now, I know not everyone is going to be saved, but I do believe it is the will of God that His redemption would be effective for any and all who would come to Him. So, in that case, I'm asking for something that, that does line up with His will. Or, if, if, I, if, I, if I pray and I ask, God, uh, I just think it would be awesome for you to explode all over cross-culture and, and just to draw people and for 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 thousands of people to come and, and we're having multiple services in here and we're looking at extending and planting churches and doing all this. God, that would just be awesome for you to do that. 
as I understand Scripture, I think that lines up with his will. In, uh, in Luke chapter 14, and the master said to the slave, go out into the highways along the hedges. Notice, notice the imperative is given to you and me. Go out into the highways and hedges uh, along the hedges and compel them to come in. Why? So that my house may be full. So it gets hard when we think, well, God, I, this is what I want. I think that is your will. That's, that's, that's why faith becomes the imperative. Because it says that I have to trust in God, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's happening, no matter how it's going, no matter how many uh, seats are empty, or whether this person's not coming to Jesus, or this person not being healed of cancer, or this person is. Listen, that, put, that, that kind of faith honors God. Because you're trusting Him. You're saying, here it is, I say this, I've said this to people through the years multiple times. For instance, in the area of healing. You're trusting in the healer, not the healing. Do you understand the difference? No, because you might. Because when I wrote that in my sermon, I typed that out in my sermon, I thought, well, what's the difference? The difference is to trust in the healing would be to say, I'm believing God that that cancer is going to be gone. Trusting in the healer is saying, I'm asking God for that cancer to be gone, and I'm trusting God to do what he knows in his sovereign will is absolutely best. Whether I understand it, whether I like it, whether I want it, God is God, I am not. We say that a lot around here. And I will trust him. One of the, one of the pet peeves that I have against whatever, what, health, wealth, and prosperity, whatever you want to call them, one of the pet peeves that I have about them is that they basically seem to indicate that, that answered prayer is in your hands and not in God's hands. Which, which is the, the last idea that I, that I wanted to, to bring up this morning it must be his power not our performance or you could even i even thought about changing you in brackets by power you could even put his person it's in who god is and it's it's in the ability that he has and and the it seems like that oftentimes people say if if you if you just if you see it if you could if you see it and believe it if you can envision it if you if you if you can name it you can claim it if you can if you can just you know it's there it's yours for the taking and i just tell you that doesn't honor god that honors you in, in my, that's what it looks like to me. It doesn't honor God, that honors you because, because it was you, it's the amount of faith that you have and what you can, and listen, I, and you don't have to agree with me about this, but, and I don't, I don't claim to be the world's foremost authority on scriptures, but I, I've been at this for a little while and, and I, I'm telling you, Joyce Meyer may teach it, Joel Osteen may teach it, Joseph Prince may teach it, but I'm telling you, the word of God doesn't teach it. The Word of God says that the results are in God's hands. Yes, we need faith, obviously. And when they talk about faith, they're absolutely right. You and I need faith, and I am firmly of the conviction that people with with great faith in God and toward God and for God will see God do great things. I absolutely believe that. But the second that you and I begin to think that the results are dependent on our faith performance, how much we can work up or work out or, or do whatever, the second we begin to think that this is based on how much faith I can have, that's when, that's when we've lost it, folks. That's when, that's when we missed what this is really all about. This is about being able to say, God, whether it's, whether it's healing, and listen, don't leave here with the wrong, wrong understanding. I'm not saying don't ask God to, to heal some person you love of cancer or don't uh, not give you a job. I'm not saying don't. No, we go to him with that. That demonstrates faith, but we leave it with him. We trust him in it. And so no matter how it goes, if, 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 I, if I don't get healed of cancer, if I pray and I say, God, I, I, I have cancer and I, would, and I would pray that you would heal me and that you would be glorified through that. But God, 
You're so much bigger than me. You have such an eternal perspective, and my perspective is so temporal. God, if you don't heal me, then I pray that you would be glorified in my death. See, that's, that's faith. That's faith. Honestly admit what is lacking in our faith, and honestly look to where your faith is. Is it in the healer or the healing? Is it in the provider or the provision? Is it in the God who has all, or is it in the stuff that you want God to give you? I have a feeling that most of us listening to these last two messages can see that it's not about the amount of faith that matters, but where it is located. At least part of the reason that Jesus worked miracles in so many different ways on so many different kinds of people with all different levels of faith was to show that it has nothing to do with how it is done, but with who is doing it. Being in God's presence and being able to draw near to Him is a tremendous privilege. And as we heard today, through Jesus Christ, we become a part of the family of God. Like any relationship we have, it should be a growing, vibrant thing where we enjoy being in God's presence. Join us next week as our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, continues. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.